Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List, the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I have the privilege of having a returning guest, a special returning guest, David Allen, author of Getting Things Done, GTD. We get to talk about some pretty cool stuff this time around. Information overload, potential meaning overload. What's changed since 2001, since the book first came out, to now in March of 2015 when the updated version comes out? Why there really isn't a fight between productivity versus creativity, and much more. Let's get into that conversation right now, and just as a heads up, partway through the conversation, I'll pop in to tell you about something that I am really loving right now. It is my privilege to welcome back... GTD author and speaker, all around great guy, <laughs> David Allen. David, welcome back to the show. Hi, Eric. Glad to be here. You've been doing this for 30 plus years. It's been now two years since we talked, and you're doing this common sense, open source. Nothing you're saying is new. It's not anything that people haven't heard before, like write things down, have a list know what you should be doing and, and all these kinds of things, but it goes way beyond just time management. It's more about focus and attention, right? Yeah. It's really about uh, creating space so you can do that appropriately with no distraction. The last time that you were here, and, and again, if people want to go listen back to that episode, I actually just recently did that. And I, I was actually kind of amazed at some of the stuff that I'd forgotten that you'd said, like, uh, I asked you, you know, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? And you're like, well, good coffee and the, the right maps. <laughs> and I, I just thought that is such a great, simple answer. So uh, if people want to check that out, go find that. I'll put it in the link, the show notes for, for this episode. I want to d dive into the new update of the book, which I, let, I guess let's start there. Why, why an update? Well, if you read the book now, and, you know, it was first published in hardback in 2001, I think you'll you'll feel it's a little dated. Simply the languaging and you know some things you know it's probably more paper based than digital based in terms of just mentioning you know the the media that people are are engaged with in terms of their you know their stuff and their systems. 
<laughs> probably the biggest change is that there isn't any. Meaning, <laughs> you know, in, in 2090, that when they land on Jupiter, they still need an in-basket, and they're still going to have to decide next actions on potentially relevant stuff if they want to get off the planet. So, the, you know, the procedures or the methodology is, it's probably old as dirt. Uh, people haven't needed it except, you know, in the last, you know, maybe 50, 100 years when people actually had to start to juggle more to do than they can do and make decisions about what they do as opposed to having work just being self-evident. So as soon as, you know, quote, knowledge work emerged Mm -hmm. where you actually had to think to figure out what to do as opposed to having it self-evident, just letting the pressure of life let you know what to do. You know, from now on, as long as that's still true, uh, you will need something to be able to externalize your mind. You know, a lot of the revised edition has both updated languages you know, I, I mentioned a few pieces of software by name in the in the first book, and now I don't mention any software by name because as soon as you do, tomorrow it will be history. Yeah. <laughs> as, fast, as fast as apps and technology in the digital world are just showing up with list managers daily in terms of, you know, trying to manage this kind of stuff. So a, a lot of it is just updating the language. Uh, I've added some new chapters. I've added a chapter about the cognitive science that's shown mm. up in the, since the book was published that's basically you know, corroborated the, the methodology that your head is for having ideas and not for holding them. They now, you know, got a lot of studies that just prove that. So, you know, I, I learned it on the streets and have been teaching it and implementing it and coaching people about that for 30 years. Uh, kind of nice to have a scientific validation of it if people need that. You know, your head is, just did not evolve to be able to keep track of more than four things at once. I love that because the more that I try to organize or keep track of what needs to be done and what needs to be done about it in my head, the less of any of that gets done. Yeah. So Well, they've just, they've just proven that. It's called, hey, let me have you keep track of five numbers and then try to do a, a piece of work. You're not going to do it nearly as well as somebody who's not trying to keep track of five numbers, period. Yeah. You know, it's, it's in a way kind of a duh. It's a, it's a simplistic idea. And by the way, you can memorizing things. There's nothing wrong with memorizing things. If that's how I want to spend your time, it's a nice hobby, I guess. You know what the heck? If what you're memorizing has no inherent hooks on you, meaning what you're memorizing has nothing to do with anything that's incomplete, that in a sense is talking to you. Say, decide about me, think about me, remember me, remind about me. Then fine. So what? You know, no no big deal. You know, if, if you like to do that, but again, you know, I know the I love Einstein's quote. Why should I remember my own phone number? You can look that up. There are a lot of a lot of, a lot of better things to think about. The whole idea is is if you have a commitment to make something different than it is, any kind of would, could, should, need tos, ought tos in some way, you know, that then creates those open loops that then will keep you know spinning subliminally in your psyche. If you allow that, then it it suboptimizes your your cognitive process. Yeah. So. Well, the first book was kind of in that weird space in between there'd been this buildup of we've, we've moved, we moved away from people cranking widgets for, you know, prior to that for a while and prior to that, you know, farming and whatever up till this point of, you know, and you said it best knowledge work and you, you have Peter Drucker and then you've got uh, Stephen Covey and then, you know, 2001, you come out with this and you'd already been thinking about it and, and doing it for a while before the book came out. But that was prior to digital, mobile, connectivity, anywhere, everywhere. Not to say that technology didn't exist at that time. I mean, it did. That was the dot-com boom. How has that digital and technology, you know, the iPhone, in other words, people are you know, saying, well, what? of course the iPhone will be in this book. I'm wondering if you even include that word. 
I don't. What about a smartphone? 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 Okay. Yeah, smartphones. Smartphones will be pretty generic, I think, for, for a while. So I, I use that. Um, you know, what's different? I mean, you know, come on, the Palm. <laughs> the, the Palm yeah. is actually a better list manager than the iPhone. You know, it, it's, it, yeah, you couldn't Siri into the Palm, but Siri might misunderstand anyway. So you're still going to have to check it. So it, any of those things work. They're just list managers. Nothing has really changed. There's been no game changer really technology-wise since the word processor and the spreadsheet, frankly. Those things changed how we thought. And they mm-hmm. truly, exponentially, logarithmically changed our productivity. You know, right. those things. Did, but the, a list manager, they, you know, come on, do it in paper. I know a lot of tech people, they're going back to paper planners because mm-hmm. uh, they like the touch and feel of it. it. It makes them more conscious about their stuff. And frankly, seeing pages in a planner, that is pages, you know, sort of within tabs, within sections, it's actually a more appropriate map to how your brain is trying to manage all the multiple horizons of your life. Computer is very dangerous in that way because, in a way, it's a very flat thing. I mean, even if you've got three Thunderbolt screens around you, you, know, you still can't see things quite as well as you can in a paper planner in terms of seeing the, the scope of your life and commitments and being able to dig into the details. You, you can do any of them work. Because if you know the methodology and you have the discipline of that and you have, that's become habitual, you could, you know, hey, I can, I can make it work on toilet paper or give me the most high-tech tool in the world. And as soon as I figure out what the speed keys are, you know, I'll make that work as well as anything. In a way, the technology has not changed anything about the methodology. What's really changed by the, based upon the technology is the plethora of how many places you can put a bunch of crap and have it just clog up your head and clog up your life. <laughs> it's kind of the good and bad news is the plethora of stuff, you know, that are showing up almost daily in terms of cool apps. So, but do do I? Where do I keep this random idea? Do I throw it into Evernote, or do I want to put it in Dropbox so I can then pull, pull it down from here, or do I stick it on my iPhone? And you know, in in a way, if you don't have the methodology down and the discipline of that, then the the technology has just made it actually worse. Just because it adds that that many more confusing elements to what you're trying to do systematically, it's deeper and darker and more numerable amount of holes that you can throw these things that you've captured into. And out of sight and out of mind doesn't necessarily equal out of consciousness. Correct. You know the truth is that a whole lot of what's really cool about that the new apps and the new technology is just how how to slice and dice reference information. You know how fast you can get it, how many through through how many sources you can get it, you know through how many devices you can get the same information, and that it syncs across all that stuff. And you know you can search for all kinds of you know cool information. So you know I love Evernote, it's a fabulous tool. I use it for my reference. If you make the distinction, which is a GT a, a critical GTD's d- distinction between actionable things versus non-actionable things, the non-actionable stuff is you know wow, what a, it's a great time to be alive. <laughs> you know, things are in the cloud and you, you can, you know, access stuff on your Android as well as your iPhone. And, but that's all that's done is speed things up and add more ubiquity to access. But it didn't change any game. So I got a lot of people, a lot of audience members who, I, I, when I asked the question, have you tried GTD or have you read the book? Have you implemented it? Have you had a trusted system? It was actually very much split. It was either it saved my life, I can't func- function without it, to the other polar opposite, which was I've tried it or it's too systematic, it's too overwhelming, it's too – and I thought – they just don't get what it really is, or they're lumping a lot of extra stuff on top of these 
five steps. You must have those types of reactions, right? Sure. No, I, I think the the biggest thing is most people feel like they can't do it because it does seem like, you know, I I, I, th- I threw the kitchen sink at everybody in that book. Right. <laughs> I gave them the whole game because the point of writing the book was was to write a manual in case I got run over by a bus. Yes. Because I never had time to give everybody the 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 details and the and the implications and applications of all the different you know uh, aspects of what GTD meant to me and that I'd uncovered in 25 years. So I just threw it all in there, and I understand that. And and even our training programs were really pretty a, a lot overwhelming for people because even in the day when they got sort of blasted by that whole thing, they go, "Oh my God, all those lists, and I have to get everything out of my head." Oh my God, it just seems so far away from where people really were. So I understand that was, we, we, that's a lot of what we've attempted mm-hmm. to do lately over the last couple of years is, is sort of lower the barrier to entry and make it a little simpler to get into it. At the same time, in all integrity, I can't give people a half a system. Either your head's the place for holding things or it's not. People say it's too systematic. I said, you keep a calendar. Are there things you just don't put on your calendar because you don't want it to be too systematic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, no. Well, duh. Well, if you keep a calendar, why? Because your head can't do it. Either your head's the place for it or it's not. And if you're halfway in between where most people are, you don't trust either one. You don't trust your head. You don't trust your system. What people say, well, I'm doing a little bit of GTD. Hey, if all you do is keep a notepad by your bed, you'll sleep better. <laughs> you know, if, that, if you've never done that before and then you have that, you'll probably sleep better just knowing you can grab ideas and get them out of your head and then retrie- you know, retrieve them in the morning. So in that way, you can just do a little bit of GTD and it will improve you. I mean, it's not like running with scissors. You know, there's nothing here that <laughs> you do cause any harm and, and it all helps. In a way, that's kind of the bad news. You know, in a way, you'd probably be better off or there might be more people who really implemented GTD if you didn't get any value out of it unless you truly did it 100%. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting 
during checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. Right. Have you come up against people who they're not knowledge workers and so they say they kind of throw this right out the door immediately and say oh no i i don't work in a cubicle i'm an i'm an artist or i'm a creative type or something along those lines which i know you can identify with to a point because you do you do a lot of different things for creative expression you know photography last time we talked you were learning you were doing painting and, and even a drawing course and uh and even way back when you were doing martial arts, do you still do that? By the way, uh, no. Okay. Only, only in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're 69, you, a lot of things you used to do as a kid, you could just do in your mind these nice. days. <laughs> I've been one who's been kind of trying to wrestle the idea of a false dichotomy, maybe, of productivity versus creativity, and I don't yeah. think that you see a distinction either. I don't, and I understand it. I mean, productivity as a word has a lot of baggage. Yes. One of the things I wrote in the revised edition was I said, you know, mea culpa, when I first wrote the book, it was really designed to address and and speak the language of the sort of the fast-track professional because they were Mm -hmm. the people who were the sort of the leading edge of overwhelm. They were the people who first – were sort of experiencing, uh, you know, the, the, you know, turning to toast with more to do than they can do and downsized organizations and just the stress of opportunity, if you will, you know, that they had. And so it was really designed for, you know, the, if you look, you know, the cover, I'm on, a, I'm in a suit and tie and you know, it was sort of a design for those kind of folks. I knew even then that, you know, one of our biggest audiences is the clergy, students, Artists, musicians, uh, teachers, uh, homemakers, anybody, you know, anybody who cares, you know, about, you know, making sure they've got a clear space and stress-free way to keep track of all the multiple things they're trying to manage and, and, and take advantage of in their lives. You know, I knew it was for everybody, but it really wasn't positioned that way. And, you know, productivity is a loaded word. You know, as I say in the, in the revised edition, I said it has a lot of baggage around business and busyness. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But productivity, the, you know, the, the, the definition of productivity in mine is, is achieving desired results. So if you're going to go on a vacation to relax and you don't relax in your vacation, that's an unproductive vacation, right? So productivity just means, hey, achieving something. Hey, I'm going to relax this afternoon. And if you don't, that's unproductive. So productivity is, is purely relative to what it is you want to try to achieve, and that's not just some sort of financial or physical result. It's also just an inner experience. Gee, I'd love to, I'd love to feel more warmth and love with my family tonight. Great. And if you don't, that's an unproductive thing. So when you think of it that way, obviously that you know, broadens the scope you know, for sure in terms of you know, what productivity means and having more room to do that. The whole idea of time management is really, as you know, it's, it's, a, it's really a hoax because you can't manage time. Mm-hmm. How much time does it take to have a good idea? Zero. How much time does it take to refocus? Zero. How much time does it take to be innovative or creative? Zero. You don't need time, but you do need room. If you don't have any psychological or psychic space in there because you're so distracted by all the stuff that's you know, falling through the cracks or that are bothering you that you haven't yet decided about that you know you need to, 
you know, that stuff it will we can prevent you from being able to really take advantage of the creative space. And, you know, I've got now, you know, tons of, of very real people in those, quote, you know, creative fields that are huge champions of my stuff. You know, I'm, I don't know if you, if you heard the, the, uh, the podcast with Evan Taubenfeld, who at the time Evan had been Avril Levine's guitarist and producer. You know, he's doing some other stuff now in L.A. in the music, in the music world. But Evan said before GTD, he started 100 songs a year. After GTD, he finished 100 songs a year. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's you know, great. There's a huge difference there. I mean, and I understand that creative people go, I love to be creative and spontaneous. Like, oh, great. What do you think about the line in the middle of the road? You know, there's a constraint. You know, it's a, it's a structure. You know, the, the line in the middle of the road lets you drive home and think about other things as opposed to, gee, I hope nobody hits me in the road. You know, a painter is going to need a canvas and going to need well-organized brushes and paints. Well, even uh, even the creative people can acknowledge that sometimes your best creative work comes from putting boundaries in place. Sure. So, well, that that's what if you had all the time, money, and space in the world, you you know, wander around, see whatever shows up. Yeah. It's it. it, You know what? What will trigger your creativity? uh, To your point, is to actually build. You know, uh, sort of elegant limitation. That's a wow. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I only have five minutes to write a poem, and I can only do it in 140 characters. <laughs> or tweeting. So, yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, that's why I love you know tweeting. You know, it, it's kind of fun. You know, to think, okay, I just had an experience today. What did I learn from that that I could put in 140 words? And you know, that's been a very creative process for me. That's great. I, I love the idea that. Uh, Again, step one or phase one or whatever you want to call it of these five components of the capturing and then engage through to engaging of of the GTD methodology that that in step one, capturing things that have your attention, a lot of people are going to default and think – Oh, those are my tasks. But but how you something you said, you know, a minute or so ago about I'd like to feel more warmth and, and love towards my family. That's something that has your attention. How would you pass that thought through these five stages? Well, you know, I mean it's, it's a, a little bit question. vague, but No, it, no, it's a good question. You you really need to determine whether or not there's something you need to do that you think would trigger that. Or is just the thought itself a sufficient spark? So if I want to be more considerate or concerned about people or, or whatever, I, then the question would be, is there something you out beyond just having that thought right now you think you might, would, could, should, ought to do that would f- facilitate or foster that? And if there's a yes answer to that, then that's yes, something you need to capture. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, there's something that I can't finish simply by having the thought about it. That's really what you're after. Oh yeah, it's something that that is not complete by the thought itself. I mean, I got I have fifty thousand thoughts a day. They've estimated, you know, we all do. So I'm not writing <laughs> very many of those down, you know. So you know, I write very little down actually. But what I do write down is if you said, "Hey, David, you know, I know a fabulous restaurant in in London, or if you're going to be in Oslo, or uh, oh, you're going to Budapest next week. Hey, fabulous. Well, look, you ought to go X, Y, and Z." If that's something I actually might want to, could, should, ought to do something about or consider or, or might save as reference or have value to me, that's what I better write down. Otherwise, the brain sits there and ticks off on it like tick, 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 tick. Wait a minute, David. You've got a da 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 It's almost like you know, one of the studies they've shown you know, recently is that your brain's decision-making process, that decision-making muscle 
it takes the same amount of horsepower to decide which shoes to wear today as it does to decide who to hire for your assistant. Just right. the decision-making process itself yeah. is actually draining. So the whole sort of popularized idea now of decision fatigue is, is it, it's true that your mind, it's kind of like your brain, your mind doesn't have one. It really is kind of a dumb tool in a way. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. And the, you, know, you will give, and this is just anecdotal, but it's true, you'll give, I need cat food as much weight as I need to hire an assistant, <laughs> <You know? laughs> if, if it's just in your head. One is as likely to pop up at 3 a.m. in the morning as the other. You know, it, it doesn't seem to have any kind of a logical or, or rational weight to how it then manages those kinds of things. So once you sort of catch that, that is really, this is really just a mechanical process. And you just want to keep the canvas as clean as possible internally so you're ready for anything. You know, my second book. Nice. <laughs> so I'm re- really ready for any kind of an input that can show up. Uh, and I don't have these, the, uh, these other wheels spinning about a whole lot of things. The sort of paradox about it is people's, a lot of people say, well, gee, David, you know, what seems counterintuitive about that is you're spending a lot of time with a lot of stuff that's not urgent or that important. That's right. It's because it's not urgent and that important that you need to get that off your mind. And if you don't spend the time doing it, given the methodology that I uncovered, it will take a whole lot of more of your energy than it deserves. So that's the whole point of it is I need to get that off my mind so that I can focus on the more meaningful, creative, cool you know, stuff. We'd all rather be surfing than swimming. I mean, swimming takes a whole lot more energy, but if we're using the surfboard, the GTD surfboard and surfing on top of it, because we've practiced it and gotten it down so much that, you know, we've, we've got our balance and we don't even think about our balance. And there you go. And, you know, it's interesting you say that, Eric, I mean, our, in our new training design that we've done, we, we talk a lot about the surfboard effect and that you're surfing on top of your game, but, but you're, 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 Guess what surfers always do regularly? Fall off. Mm-hmm. Sure. But if you're not falling off, you know, you're, you're, you're bored regularly. You're probably not playing a big enough game. But what do good surfers have tied around their ankle? Right? They have an ankle tether. Right? Why? So when I fall off, I can get back on the board again pretty easily. So GTD provides the ankle tether to you that says, look. And by the way, when you have an ankle tether, guess what surfers will do? They'll surf bigger waves. So if you can trust you have a system that will get you back onto control and focus, then you're much more willing to take the risks that are going to throw you out of it. And that's a lot of the sophistication of what GTD is as a lifestyle. This is not a one-time transactional thing. This is, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning how to master the flow of life's work because your life's work is going to change as you change. And so building a systematic approach we also then refer to it as the aperture effect, just like an aperture in a camera you know, opens or closes based upon ambient light. Your GTD system will be as complex as it needs to be to match your complexity so it simplifies your life. Uh, you don't want too complex a system if you have a very simple life. Understood? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that's the thing. I think that's one of the other contributing factors is people don't think about that aperture effect. They hear GTD, they read GTD, and they think, I've got to have a wide open lens at all times. And what they don't realize is they can scale it down to and even simplify. I mean, we all have things that come at us that we need to capture. We all need to figure out what they mean. We need to organize it. We need to reflect and review and see if it's something we need to do now or later and then decide when we're going to do it and do it. I mean, it really is that simple. 
You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's the, as Oliver Wendell Holmes famously said at one point, he said, I would not give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm, there's, there is something to ponder for a while. I think Charles Mingus also said, you know, <laughs> mastering the art of simplicity is the master art. Hey, everybody, I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something that I am really loving right now. Since the day before Thanksgiving, I've had this Casper mattress. And yes, you can tell the sound is a little bit different. It's because I am literally laying down on this mattress right now. So I thought there's there's no better way for me to get across to you how comfortable this thing is than... To show you how the sound of my voice is different while I'm laying here on this Casper mattress. What makes a Casper mattress so awesome? Well, it's made from two different technologies, latex foam and memory foam. Now, you might be familiar with memory foam, but this latex foam and this memory foam come together in this really awesome compromise the good way of using the word compromise, which is where both sides really don't lose out on anything. All the benefits, none of the downside. There's no downside here. That the compromise between the, the latex foam and the memory foam means that this thing is... I'm laying here, and it is and feels this sturdiness and this carefully crafted durability and firmness that feels supportive to lay down on. At the same time, I don't know how they do it. It feels comfortable and bouncy, but not too bouncy. Soft, but not like I'm sinking down to the floor. It feels strong and familiar at the same time, which is really cool. So it shows up in this box. The box is about the size of a mini fridge, one of those taller mini fridges. I texted my wife. I said, the new mattress is here. She gets home with my two kids, and we pop this thing open, and we pull the mattress out, and automatically, it's already, because of the way they build it, lighter than a regular mattress, because I had already, earlier that day, knowing that the mattress was coming, pulled our old mattress off the bed and moved it. We open it up, we pop it open, and it starts to breathe. It makes this fun, like... Ah, I'm comfortable and now you're going to be too sound. So we're just thrilled with it because right now, like, listen, I am rolling around on it a little bit and you can't really hear that much. I mean, uh, okay, so let me put it this way. We got it the day before Thanksgiving. We slept in it that night and the next morning, I mean, I already felt a difference in how I slept. Then for Thanksgiving, we stayed overnight somewhere else. And that night, I kid you not... I'm laying down wishing I was laying down on my home Casper mattress. So I already instantly missed it. So this thing's made in America, and, and it ships quickly. And the prices, you can get twin-size mattresses for 500 all the way up to 950 for a king-size mattress. And if you compare that to some of the other high-quality mattresses that are out there, you're going to get a huge deal on this thing. And you really need to try it out. And you can try it out with a risk-free trial and return policy. It's easy. Try sleeping on it for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. 
this is something that you need to do right now to get the better sleep that you need over these ho- this holiday season. Think about it. 100 days right now gets you through to, and, and trust me, like me, you're going to know instantly that you aren't going to let it go like I just illustrated with my Thanksgiving story. You are going to know right away. But even if it takes you a few more days, 100 days is essentially, it's a little over three months. Say you got this right now before Christmas, January, February, March. You'd have it till March. And I know you're going to decide sooner than that. You're going to be like, oh yeah, we're good here. So try it for 100 days with free delivery, painless returns. And the cool thing is, is that they've given me this code. You can go to Casper, that's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash to do and use the code to do and you can get $50 off any mattress purchase. $50 off. Anyway, go to casper.com slash to do and use the code to do. So really, the again, the, it's common sense. It's methodology that you know you put together after doing it for so long and – the world has changed, but these principles really don't. It still always boils down to you know what I just walked through and, and what your steps are. Let's kind of go through that real quick. It's capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. Yep. So. And that's, you know, that's part of also what's changed for the new book. In the, in the first book, I used the word collect instead of capture. Mm-hmm. I used the word process instead of clarify. I use the word review instead of reflect, and I use the word do instead of engage. So if you catch the subtlety of the difference in those words, you'll catch a lot more of this is more lifestyle. There's more of an elegance, a universal elegance to to these principles. Because capture is really, what are all the potentially relevant things I want to think about about my family? What are all the potentially relevant things I want to think about? So it's not just stuff that's currently sitting in front of you. It may also be more subtle things that need to be clam dug in in terms of, oh, yeah, oh, oh, you know, oh, yeah. And so there's more of a sense of, wow, let me grab that as that's floating by. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but that could be really important potentially. It's as much a creative process to understand what are all the things that are potentially relevant and meaningful to me or might be. And, and so it just expanded that a little bit. And so that's what you do. That's what stage one is, is, is making sure you've identified those things and you know, gotten them out of your head and put them in some sort of trusted bucket that you'll look through sooner than later to move to the next two steps, which are important because you need to then empty out those in baskets. Well, and I think that's maybe the one thing that's changed since the first book and even maybe wasn't clarified as much in the first book is that we already had multiple inboxes. Now we've got multiplied multiple inboxes yeah. in, in all or these different ways. And we, we hit on that in the, in the technology. You've got all these different places you can, you can park stuff, but you've also got all these different places that things are being delivered to you. Yeah. All so. the social media stuff and, and all of that is, is throwing things at you. And that's, it's forcing you um, to make some executive decisions called, well, how important is that, that I look at that how soon? You know, is that just reference? As I say, I'm not too disturbed by social media. I consider it's a cocktail party. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but I I only indulge in them just as a kind of like I would in a cocktail party. Kind of fun, doing nothing else. Let me go see what's happening in the world out there. And there may be things that show up in there that I then find meaningful. I go, oh, okay, well, I think I'll surf that or there's something I want to look into or, uh, oh, yeah, that reminds me. I want to send somebody a birthday present. So 
There could be things that are triggered by looking at it, but that's true walking down the street. So there's really no difference in, in just you know, grazing around my world through social media or through walking down the street. Or, you know, in a way, social media is nothing more than the, laun- the laundromat bulletin board. <laughs> that, that's been around forever, <laughs> or at least since laundromats. Yeah. With all these multiple input streams, we've got this, some call it information overload. I've heard you say potential meaning overload. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Actually, information is very comforting. The most comforting place to be in the world is, is the most information rich. It's nature. Because of the complexity and the different horizons, you know, different colors, different shapes, different, different inputs. If you want to go crazy, take away all the information. It's called sensory deprivation. It'll drive you nuts. Restaurants that have several people in them at multiple horizons that you can sort of glance up and, and you know, take your eyes away from a direct you know, eye-to-eye contact with whoever you're having dinner with and look across the room and see plants and see people coming in the door or whatever is actually much more relaxing than if you were in a, a, a restaurant, you're the only people there and you're having to stare at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in a way, multi, you know, a multiplicity of information is actually something that, that we find quite relaxing. It's just that in a restaurant, I'm not sitting there going, oh, wow, that could be a meaningful person. Oh, I should talk to that person. Oh, that whatever. And in nature, hey, there are not that many things. Maybe there's a thunderstorm or there's a snake or a berry, a berry or a bear or somewhere. But, and your brain was designed to be, be able to handle about four things, which is about all it's going to see in nature that it probably cares about. So it, the potential meaning, though, it's like, wow, you know, every one of those emails piling up while everybody's listening to this right now is got a potential berry or snake or thunderstorm in it. Wow, there's something in there that might be useful, meaningful, or whatever, and it's the over the overwhelm of that that might be more important than whatever I'm currently doing. Right, and if we're not trained at going through the five steps, then we don't know how to filter out what is or isn't important for now or for later. Correct, and so you'll be overwhelmed by potential meaning. <laughs> yes. You know. Oh my God. I mean, in other words, how long can people go without checking email or voicemail or their text to tr- to trust what they do? The yeah. problem is, is people then don't do anything with them. They just check them. <laughs> they still leave them there. <laughs> so they're, in, they're living in emergency scan mode, which is there's no light at the end of that tunnel. Uh, yes. You know, I'll emergency scan too. I do it often. You know, hey, I'm, going, I'm about to go out for errands. Let me check and see if the client okayed the, the proposal or if there's, if there's any other quickie things I can knock off real quick and let people know that I respond instantly. So I will do that too, but that's not my lifestyle. You know, <laughs> you know I, zero, I, I have the luxury to be able to do that because, you know, email is going to get zeroed out every 24, 48, 72 hours, maybe max. Mm-hmm. Speaking of crowded restaurants, I know one of the things that has become even more popular these days is just the uh, elimination of a, a limitation on, let's say, context, where you're doing whatever yeah. it is you need to be doing. That that has become even more prevalent because 2001, laptops weren't as – they existed, but they weren't as popular or as ubiquitous as they are these days. And we sure. didn't have – you know, we again, we didn't have smartphones in their current form or even tablets for that matter. Those were all on Star Trek. So how has that affected what you tell yourself you need to do and where you need to do it? Yeah, that's a good question. That has added some sophistication, some subtlety to, okay, you know, where's the next level of game about all this stuff? Because in truth, the smartphone can be your computer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't need an at computer and at phone. The, those distinctions have become blurred, you know, so understood. 
I don't really know about that. I think it, once you sort of catch the methodology, then you, you, again, it's the aperture effect. I need to expand or contract or complexify or simplify my system based upon what I need to keep my head empty and to make sure I've got the right map I need to see when or where. It's kind of a sidebar statement on all of that, which is that people are trying to do work on their smartphones. I go, all right, give me a break. You know, <laughs> you, that, that's going to shrink your brain. You know, the smartphone is for holding the results of your work, not for doing work. Now, I understand if you're just responding to something, just simple little single actions that you can do that way, you know, texting people or, or having conversations, if you will, you know, through that. But to sit there and do work on a smartphone, give me a break. You know, I, I even feel constrained with my MacBook Book Pro I'm at 15 inches and decided not to invest in Thunderbolt screens when I moved to Amsterdam. I had two when I was in Santa Barbara. First of all, I don't have a lot of as, as much room here. And I just thought, you know, I kind of like being used to one machine. And, you know, my MacBook just goes with me, with me pretty much in my backpack anywhere. So I can do that kind of work. And there's so many Wi-Fi locations around that I can just sit down and work. And it's great to have that kind of real estate visually to be able to, you know, think bigger. Anyway, just that's just a sidebar on yeah. all that. Well, you're right. Context, you're going to hear a lot more about context. I heard you on uh, Mac Power Users recently, and, and David mm-hmm. Sparks was, and, and Katie Floyd and, and yourself were having this conversation, and and I in the context of Macs specifically, but just that idea of overlapping Venn diagrams <clears throat> to know what right. can be done between like time, space, health, mood, task, etc. Well, I think to the to to a large degree, whatever can be automated about that, so it kind of knows where you are, what time you're in, and then what kind of things you like to do. But I think the jury is still way out about whether or not that those algorithms are truly can map anywhere close to the reality of your life. I mean, there's so many subtle variables about in the afternoon at three o'clock. So what? I, I couldn't tell you that I do anything consistently in my mm-hmm. life except wake up. You know, and sometimes that's questionable. You know, so, <laughs> so <laughs> that's about it. But at three o'clock, what do I want to not see? Yeah, and you know, I I just I want to be able to see all the maps of my life in whichever way I want to see them. I mean, to me, the elegance will come when I can then custom say I want to see the, the I want to see my uh, David Allen podcast map and my David and Eric map, and I want to see that Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. So you know that'll let me know what we talked about before. It'll show me that that map. It'll it'll let me know what are the typical things I'd like to talk about in a podcast. One of the things I don't want to forget, but I need to promote, et cetera, who you are, how we've engaged with each other, you know, maybe, maybe how, how deep I want to look into your background and what, you've, you know, what your social media content has been over the last 48 hours. So being able to build those kind of maps, that's where the, a lot of the power is and what I call decision support. What would inform me or allow me to add the most quality to my experience of my life and, what, and my contributions right now? If I could see that map and that's where, you know, your brain is like, you, you couldn't even possibly hope to be able to manage what the technology could potentially manage for you. But again, you don't want Nazi-ware. You don't want something that's, that says, okay, you can only think of this here or you can only think of that there. So being able to build that in. Now I'm dreaming because the technology required to make that happen is, you know, is <laughs> it's, it's probably out there, but it just cost you, you know, gazillion dollars to create it for yourself right now, especially to see it in a hologram. But that's where it's going. It's a matter of when. We're not Tony Stark yet to each have our own Jarvis or, or the, the movie Her is another way to yeah. look at it. 
Huh. Well, it's fascinating. I, I just had dinner a couple of weeks ago with Katie Coleman. Uh, she's our female astronaut. She's a big GTDer. We've actually coached her while she was screaming around the world out there. So she came into my seminar I was doing in D.C., and we were, we were kind of joking about the in-basket. I said, well, Katie, how does it work in weightlessness? She said, well, <laughs> you know, you can, could, because the in-basket, there's no weight to hold anything down into the in-basket. She said, well, kind of the whole space station is an in-basket. It all floats around in these little, in these little bags. Anyway, it's funny. That's a great mental image, man. <laughs> so we'll we'll see where the world is going, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, in terms of all that. But the, the functions won't change. Kind of going along with that, I, you mentioned your MacBook 15 inch. Here, I'm staring at my 13 inch, and and that whole idea of the coffee shop. I'm sitting here at my home office, but something that would dictate, oh, I need to pick up the same exact machine and screen and move it to a different location, like a coffee shop, would be, you know kids running around being noisy that I can't block out things like that how does how do those type of location freedom you know instances work for you are you do you like to just sit at your desk capture things elsewhere and then get things done at your desk or how, how does that workflow work for you well for me personally right now a whole lot of my life is just done on the computer so it really doesn't matter as long as I'm in a Wi-Fi place, and mm-hmm. especially if it's comfortable and not not too distracting or noisy, uh, I can I can do as much work there as anywhere else. The advantage of being at home is is the refrigerator is close, and I have my physical files and and support material you know here as well. You know, if I'm out at the coffee shop, I get a receipt. Well, I'm gonna have to process the receipt, so I have to I have to bring that home. I can't process it while I'm there. You know, I still need to. You know, to do well, like actually, I could process it while I'm there. You know, as long as I'm Wi-Fi connected, I can then throw it away. But I still have paper and still have stuff. So in a way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm as productive anywhere as long as I've got Wi-Fi as anywhere else. And even when I don't have Wi-Fi, I got plenty of stuff to do that doesn't require Wi-Fi to, to actually do it. That's why I have three different at computer lists. You know, I have a, a different list between between stuff that that requires me being online and then stuff that doesn't. Whatever came of, I know this is the wrong way to put it, but the official GTD app where you were doing that collaborative research uh, with intentional software. We're still doing collaborative research. They've actually spun out now a a startup, essentially, all still funded and created by intentional software called Grafter. In the digital world, grafting, graphing is the essence of, you know, data management, metadata management. You know, and much more than I, off the end of my peer already. Yeah, but Grafter has now been created essentially to attract some some new and startup interest interest in terms of investors. Intentional itself is still doing major, major, deep enterprise metadata, which is very cool, but it requires a different energy than a retail product, which is what we're trying to do with what this may look like. So there's there's still going to be a, a potentially an alpha and a beta of something in the iOS platform next year. Oh, great. You know, and we'll see. But it's like it's changing by the day simply because of, well, wait a minute, what's needed? Well, somebody built that little piece. Okay, well, what else is needed? What, what's unique about what these guys have? And they're, they're a deep bench, and they've got deep pockets. So what they have, what Intentional has and what Grafter now has is the ability to be able to look longer term because startups don't have the capital or the, the bandwidth to be able to build cross-platform stuff. And that's really what you need. If you're going to try to create a map, you're not going to reinvent Dropbox or Evernote. You need you need to be able to access them, mm-hmm. and to be able to access them bilaterally. So if you create a dashboard 
that's sort of the GTD dashboard, and you're using Dropbox or Evernote or whatever in the back end of that to be able to produce data that you need and the way you want to see it, if you change that data on the dashboard to be able to have that go bidirectional and go back to change your native Evernote stuff, man, what that involves, both technology-wise, legal-wise, you know, partnership-wise, yeah. you know, encryption-wise, uh, you're, you're way off the end of what anybody's got you know, the technology capable to do yet. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're still crossing our fingers that Moore's Law is still going to – will make this potentially you know, possible. But that's what, that's what they're looking at, and yeah. that's, that's, that's where we are on it. So it, it hasn't stopped. But they've just been, you know, how do you create your minimal viable product, you know, right now so we can get it in GTD users' hands with enough uniqueness to it to actually have people dedicate themselves to actually playing with this before you have all of that capability yet built in. Those are the tactical and strategic issues right now that we're, that we're grappling with. And, and imagine that the reframing and the, the rewording or, or reframing of the language in the new version of the book also plays a part in that. It could. It could. You know, a lot of it just has to do with maps. What map do you need to see? You yeah. Know, and, you know, what, how do I orient myself right now? Hmm. And what do I need to be able to see about that? And, and I've indicated that in the new book, you know, that a lot of it's about orientation and how do I orient myself yeah. and how to use that. You know, but I'm also talking to Steelcase and some other people that say, wow, you know, the, the, the line between hardware, software, and thoughtware is going to get very blurry. You need to be able to walk into a room, Eric, and go, wow, Eric is here. And suddenly your screens show up on the walls or in a hologram, right, because yeah. you're there. And it knows what your blood pressure is. It knows what your alcohol content is. It knows whatever and therefore <laughs> you know, <laughs> provides the map you need to see on a Friday afternoon if you've had three beers. Yeah, man. Right? <laughs> uh, way of the future. Yeah, well, you know, all that technology is probably available, assuming anybody had any interest to actually, you know, pile it all together and make it work that way. I know that you're a fan of The Organized Mind, the book, that cognitive science that's finally caught up to where you were in the first book. How has that proven, <laughs> proven you right, and how is that part of the new book? I've cited uh, numerous sources, um, and, and Dan Lebedon, who, who wrote The Organized Mind, fabulous guy. I met with him. I, I was able to c connect with him in San Francisco. And Dan's a great guy and has aggregated just a lot of in that book. It was an aggregation of a lot of the cognitive science over the last 20 years. And the first third of the book is basically validating the external brain and why we did not evolve to, to be able to manage the world that we're in right now. If you're trying to keep it in your head, that, that was a lot of his point. It, uh, it's not like 30,000 years ago. It's like, oh, Eric, I can't. You know, I, I'm so sorry. There, there is a man-eating tiger down by the, by the river. But, you know, I was sharpening my spear and had to make a fire. And <laughs> no, you didn't live that way. I mean, basically the brain is, is designed to manage about four things like that at one time, and that's it. it used to be the 1959 study that said your, your short-term memory can hold seven things plus or minus two. They've now shortened it to four, but that's about it. So four things you can you could probably still manage and create an appropriate relationship between all four in terms of their importance in your life. You add a fifth, you're dead. <laughs> you, know, you're gonna, you will be driven off latest and loudest, not by some sort of strategic, rational decision or intuitive decision about what, really where you need to put your focus. You know, a lot of it is just the proof after proof after proof after proof that you're going to sub-optimize your cognitive process. If you're trying to use your head to remember or remind anything, your, your head's not designed for that. 
And so I think that's a lot of what did. What I learned from Dan and the book, by the way, which is interesting, it just validated something else, was that you know, they, they've now proven that your brain, in order to be able to execute fully and, and in a non-distracted way, sort of optimally cognitive focused on anything, you need rest. The brain needs to daydream. It needs to back off and refresh. We're talking about hour to hour to hour, not not like you know take a you know not like your annual vacation. We're yeah. talking about <laughs> during the day. You better stop. You have to you have to step back. You have to reflect. You have to you have to be able to refresh essentially that cognitive engine, and that's some interesting data I hadn't seen before. But what it also reminded me of and let, let me know is the fact that if you're, if you're not doing GTD, you can't do either one. You're trying to focus and execute on something and put your attention on one thing and you're distracted by all this other stuff. And you can't step back and really refresh because you step back and, and take off that, that execution pressure. Then all this crap starts filling your head again. So without GTD, you can't do either one. So you're really sub-optimizing your whole cognitive process if you're not keeping your head empty, you know, a la GTD. And Dan's a big GTDer, so you know, he, you know, he he actually started reading my book after he started writing his. So he went, "Oh my God, you know, should I even write this book?" Because David nailed it. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, that's it, really great. But that was a that was a very neat thing that I got from Dan. I didn't didn't really see before. Didn't wasn't that aware of before. I sort of. You know, sort of knew it anecdotally. They said, hey, when your head's clear, it's a lot easier for you to refresh regularly about whatever you're doing. So you just are present at any time. Dan also, in the book, he used a lot of, because he was a rock musician to begin with, and they built a, a music company, sold it to Sony, before he got engaged in, and intrigued about you know, cognitive science and wound up getting a PhD and now running the research department at McGill in cognitive science. So, you know, Dan's a smart guy, but he was also interesting that he, you know, he met people like Sting and other very, very, what he calls, you know, highly successful people. And he said almost to a T, every one of them has structured their life so they don't have to think. So they can be totally present with you. Hmm. So it's fascinating, you know, that, that they've, and of course, all, a lot of those, you know, Sting uh, at all have all the resources that they can, they can you know, get people to then structure the life, their life for them so they do not have to keep thinking about what they need to be thinking about. They're just free to be who they are and be totally present with what they're doing, and that, that optimizes their creative stuff. So Dan's got a – so the, the organized mind has a, you know, a great spin on all of that. So anybody who questions the relationship between creativity you know, and GTD ought to read the book. That's a great place for people to start while they wait for your new book, which uh, – <laughs> let's see. Is, is it February or March? I think it March, changed. It's, it's, uh, March is due. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be out March 17th, I think, is the official launch date. Looking forward to that. That's uh, near St. Patrick's Day, I think. Yeah. It may be St. Patrick's Day. I'm, I'm, I think it is. So that that's a great way to celebrate. Uh, get a pint and, and the new GTD I, I've already pre-ordered it, so it'll be it'll be delivered to me instantaneously as, oh, as cool. Amazon allows. So thanks, thanks can't wait to great. dig in, David. It's been awesome talking with you again. I myself have learned a lot just in in talking with you and in thinking about all these different changes and and just. I think I get it a little bit more even now uh, talking with you. So I hope that my audience does. Where can people find you online and how can we get them hooked in on GTD? Gettingthingsdone.com. Hey, you know, pretty straight ahead and lots of fun stuff on there. A lot of free stuff. You'll see the five steps we sort of lay out there on the site. 
And I'm David at davidco.com, D-A-V-I-D at D-A-V-I-D-C-O dot C-O-M. If people want to join in and say hi in the cocktail party of Twitter, where would they go? GTD guy. Awesome. David, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Eric, my pleasure. Lots of fun. I told David afterwards that I walked away with a more simple understanding of GTD as well as a deeper one. And I hope you did too. I really hope that you can look into GTD again if you haven't before or if you have and find something in there for you, especially if you're averse to it. For all the reasons that we talked about, there are reasons that this simplified process that you're already doing in some cases can really help you get stuff off your mind and get more done. Make sure to go check out the links for his new version of the book, as well as the other items that were mentioned in this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 86. And don't forget to take advantage of my special offer from the folks over at Casper Mattress. You can go to casper.com slash todo. Use the code todo, that's T-O-D-O, and get $50 off any of those mattresses. And trust me, they're so good. Anyway, thanks again for listening to this episode. Subscribe if you haven't before. If this is your first episode, go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes or find your favorite app of choice to subscribe. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.